everybody, and welcome back. In this podcast, I'm going to briefly go over some of the more common terminology that you might hear as the podcast continues, um, or you might just be hearing every day. And maybe you're not quite sure what it means, but you have an idea, and so you haven't really asked. This will be a good podcast to refer back to just for quick explanations of very common terminology. Eventually, as the podcast continues, my intention is to explore some of these terms further and kind of look into not only the definition of the term and what it means, but also how to maybe evaluate a particular skill and how to start to coordinate um, treatment plans and different activities for a child that might be having challenges in a specific area. But just for today, I'm going to go over some of the more common terms, or at least the ones that I thought were more common. This is going to change depending on the setting you're in. This is really where we might start getting more into the pediatric world of OT, as this is where I'm more involved and where I'm using some of this terminology more. Before we get started, though, I do have a favor to ask of you. It will take three seconds, maybe just a little bit more. If you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcast, will you please scroll down to the bottom and leave me a review? So if you scroll down, it says rating and reviews. You can either just give me however many stars you think this podcast um, deserves And or you could just write like a quick little sentence, a quick little blurb of any positive or constructive feedback um, that you have for me. This not only helps me kind of get an idea of what you guys are liking and how I can be better, but it also helps kind of spread this podcast throughout the Apple Podcast community. And if you search, then it's more likely to kind of pop up at the top. So then more people searching for OT podcasts can can find this one. Hello, I'm Marissa, a certified, licensed, and practicing pediatric occupational therapist. And this is OT with Marissa. Here we will review common terminology and topics, chat about daily OT practices, and provide simple but effective tools and strategies you can implement with the child or children in your life. Whether you're thinking about a career in occupational therapy, or a current student, new grad, or seasoned therapist, my hope is this podcast has something to offer you to learn, grow, and be the best therapist you can. I'm so happy you're here. All right, so let's get into some of these terms. Like I said, this is just a brief, quick explanation. So first, I want to start off with fine motor skills. Fine motor skills are the skills that we use with small muscle groups, particularly um, with our hands. So it's kind of the ability to move the hands and fingers in smooth, precise, and controlled ways. And it's very essential for handling like different classroom tools, materials. It may also be referred to as dexterity. And so this can be confusing. Sometimes people are like, oh, fine motor skills, or oh, like manual dexterity. They're one and the same. So the next one is gross motor skills. 
So gross motor skills are larger coordinated body movements involving those bigger muscle groups. So some activities would be like running, walking, hopping, climbing, throwing, jumping, right? So you're using those bigger muscle groups or bigger motor movements. Bilateral coordination. So bi means two, like a bicycle has two wheels. So as you can imagine, this is the ability to use both sides of the body together in smooth, simultaneous, and coordinated manners. Now, I am going to have a podcast where we break down the different types of bilateral coordination. There are different types. Um, but for the purpose of this podcast, keeping it short and sweet, it's just moving both of those sides of the body together. Now, we're going to throw in another term very similar, bilateral integration. And this is a little bit different. Bilateral integration is more of those neurological processes of integrating sensations from both sides of the body to then start to build that foundation for bilateral coordination. Sticking with the theme here of um, motor-based skills, Another term would be motor planning. So motor planning is kind of the ability to uh, like figure out and organize motor movements in a specific sequence in order to carry out a task that maybe is a little unfamiliar or a little bit more complex and to really move and coordinate your body together in order to be successful in that task. So you see a ball at the other side of the room and you want to crawl over there to get it. You have to kind of think about how are my arms and my legs moving? Where do I need to go? How quickly or slowly do I need to move to crawl to that ball? Maybe a little bit more of a complex task here for motor planning might be you have a bowl and a spoon and some stuff in the bowl and it's your first time cooking and so you have to figure out, well, where do my hands go and how much force and pressure am I going to use to stir this mixture that's in the bowl? And so you're kind of organizing, sequencing, and figuring out how you need to move your body and how you need to plan uh, that movement to be successful. This, a synonym here um, is praxis. Although praxis is kind of a broader term, um, but for the sake of simplicity, motor planning and praxis can be and often are, um, those terms are used interchangeably. Another common term that I used within that definition there for motor planning would be motor coordination. And so motor coordination is really the ability uh, for several muscles or muscle groups to work together in a harmonious way to perform a motor movement. A little bit separate is motor control, which would be the ability to regulate and monitor that coordination or those motions of how the muscle groups are working together. Again, motor coordination and motor control are sometimes used interchangeably.
a few more terms here in the motor department of things. One being midline. So our body is kind of divided into different segments. We have these invisible lines that um, kind of run through our body. Different, our body moves in different planes of motion. Um, but one that we really commonly refer to is what's called the midline. So the midline is like an invisible line starting at the very tippy top of your head, running straight down the middle of your body. So it's going to kind of run in between your eyes, down your nose, right down the middle, kind of in between your legs there, this imaginary line that splits the body into a right side and a left side. And the ability to then cross from one side over to the other side is what's called crossing the midline. Two other really commonly used terms related to positioning and motor-based activities would be proximal and distal. So this is something you might hear a lot um, is proximal, which means close to the body, close to really the center of the body, and then distal, which is going to be away from the body. So the most distal parts of your body might be your hands and your feet. Uh, unless you're holding something proximal, then you're holding it close to your body. So one fun little way um, to remember kind of how those two elements, proximal and distal, work together is proximal stability, right? We need good uh, core central strength and stability for distal mobility. So this really plays into a lot of motor-based activities we might be doing in positioning. But just kind of keep those terms in your mind that proximal means close to your body and distal means a little bit further away from your body. Sometimes those terms are also used in relation to an environment. So if you're proximal to something, you're close to it. And if you're at a distance, you're further away. So a lot of times those terms are in relation to the body, but they can also be in relationship to the body within the environment. Okay, one more term for you here, and that is body awareness. So really what this is, is this like mental picture that you have of all your body parts and where they are and kind of how they are moving within the environment that you're in. And so this is going to kind of feed into the next area we're going to talk to, but really I'm lumping this in with our motor-based um, terms in, in that category. Okay, so venturing away from those motor-based components um, and into another category, we're going to talk very, very, very briefly about some common terms regarding sensory or sensory integration, sensory modulation, sensory or self-regulation. There is a lot of terms embedded within the category of sensory. Sensory itself just means related to the senses related to the five common senses that I hope you all know about, right? Touch, taste, smell, sight, and sound. But also, there are three other senses. 
for simplicity here, I'm just going to tell you what they are in a brief definition. We will get into this information later on with other podcast episodes. But the other three that you might hear of are proprioception, vestibular, and interoception. A brief definition for each of those. Proprioception is kind of the unconscious awareness of sensations coming from your joints, muscles, tendons, and ligaments that give you the sense of your position in space. Vestibular refers to the sense of movement or this pull that gravity has on us related to our body and this is originating from elements within our inner ear canals. This vestibular sense responds to changes in your head positioning and body movements as you're moving through space and it kind of coordinates movements of the head, the eyes, and the body together. Interoception are like signals and senses and messages that we're receiving from things within our body. So our bodily organs and bodily sensations like heart rate, bathroom needs, fullness, hunger, anything going on internally within our body um, that sends a signal to our brain so we can sense what's going on inside. Sensory integration then is the body's ability to process information from all of those senses, also to discriminate out which sense is which, take in that information, organize it, figure out a plan then on how to kind of execute or how to respond to that information in a way that's functional and smooth and allows us to live our daily life within normal, within normal limits and within this normal range. Therefore, sensory integration dysfunction or challenges with sensory integration is any part of that process of interpreting, organizing, and responding to that maybe there are some traffic jams and information either isn't coming in accurately or we're not organizing that information right and or we're having a difficult time then responding to it. There is so much information regarding the term sensory and everything that it encompasses. It can really get quite confusing and overwhelming to make sense of a lot of that information. For the purpose of this podcast and keeping it short and sweet and to the point, I'm going to stop there when it comes to sensory. Um, but definitely, if that's interesting, please Google research, explore further, um, and keep an eye out for future podcasts. All right, so let's talk a little bit about vision and what terms you might hear in the vision category of things. So vision is obviously has to do with our eyes. And so one term you might hear frequently might be visual perception. Visual perception is the ability for the eyes to perceive 
and interpret what it is you're seeing. Another word you might hear um, is ocular motor. And this is something that um, I always assess whenever I'm doing an evaluation. Ocular motor skills are super simple. Eye movements. There's a lot of different types of ocular motor skills, but for the simplicity here, ocular motor, just know the way the eyes are moving or how the muscles that coordinate the eyes are moving. Another skill that kind of encompasses vision with motor, which is what we talked about earlier, that you might hear frequently is visual motor skills or visual motor integration. And really what that is, is the ability to like visually take in information, process that information, and then be able to coordinate physical movements in relation to what you've seen. So maybe you need to move your hand at the correct speed and the correct distance to then catch a ball. Maybe you're seeing a picture and you're trying to replicate what you just saw. And so you need to first perceive that image and then coordinate those small or fine motor movements to replicate what it is you just saw. That's keeping it quite simple, but that's the goal of this podcast. So I'll stop there um, in terms of vision. Another term I want to briefly touch upon fits within, um, I guess, the category of cognition. And that is, well, first of all, cognition would be brain functioning and mental capacities and processes that happen within the brain that include like thinking, your attention, areas of language, aspects of learning, memory, perception, kind of these more like abstract um, things that happen within our brain. But one term in particularly that I want to bring up here is executive functioning. Executive functioning skills, sometimes these are just called executive skills, and this really refers to a set of skills um, that are originating from the front part of our brain or that prefrontal cortex of our brain. They are higher level cognitive processes used to navigate and manage daily life tasks. There are several areas of executive functioning um, and we'll talk about those at a later time, but really just know executive functioning and executive skills are those higher level cognitive skills that we need for tasks that require this extra effort to complete. Another term that you might hear um, frequently, it's almost like a buzz term these days, is neurodiversity. And really what that is, is it's like a range of differences in individual brain functions and behavioral traits, um, kind of regarded as part of normal variations uh, in a human population. So this uh, could kind of encompass autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, 
difficulties with those areas of executive function to kind of really show um, different ways that people's brains are working. I think this is a really good place to bring up neuroaffirming language. So neuroaffirming language kind of acknowledges that different neurotypes have unique strengths, interests, and needs. And it focuses less on like fixing or changing how somebody is based on those neurological functions and really kind of affirms or appreciates those differences. And so there's some controversy specifically in the way that we um, might talk about a person and different neurodiversities that they have. So one example is, um, you know, person with autism versus autistic person. So a lot of times we're taught to put the person before their different ability or their disability. So instead of saying, you know, um, a handicapped person, you might say a person in a wheelchair or a person with um, whatever, fill in the blank. But, and I know it's confusing and it's tricky and different people prefer different things, uh, but a lot of times recently you're hearing people say things like autistic person. And so what that's really doing is it's affirming that autism makes up who this individual is and those neurodiversities and the strength and the unique interests that this person has versus trying to separate out the, pers the person and how their brain is functioning for them. And so this is a big area of controversy uh, and people in the autism community have different opinions here. But really some of that language, that neuroaffirming language, is leaning more towards saying autistic person. Um, and I know for me, because I learned person with autism, it's a little bit uncomfortable for me to try to change my language, but it is something that I'm trying to do. And so I think this is a really good place to say um, moving forward and in future podcasts, I will try my best to be as neuro-affirming by saying autistic person, um, although sometimes it's a little slip of the tongue and you go back to that habitual language of person with autism. Um, but just know that that language is changing. Um, and so if you hear that in future podcasts and you're like, oh, wait, she's saying it wrong. Um, really, this is where it's coming from. It's coming from affirming those neurodiverse strengths and differences and really kind of encompassing that neurodiversity with that person and trying not to separate them out or um, kind of separate the differences in the way that a person's brain's working with the rest of them. It's all kind of one encompassing picture here. Okay, so we went off on a little bit of a tangent, um, but an important one nonetheless. So let's quickly dive into some common acronyms that you might hear. So two that I've talked about previously, one being ADL. So ADL stands for Activity of Daily Living. And an activity of daily living is really any sort of activity 
oriented towards taking care of one's own body. So feeding oneself, dressing oneself, using the bathroom, that sort of thing. Then you have IADLs. And an IADL stands for Instrumental Activity of Daily Living. And this is any sort of activity that supports daily life within the home and community. So this could be feeding your dog, um, driving to the grocery store, taking care of a loved one, cleaning the house. Something that you don't have to do to immediately take care of your individual basic needs. Um, but they are skills that we, we might use every day to support those basic, those basic needs. Some other common acronyms that you might hear specifically in the school-based setting, which is the setting that I work in, um, so some of my language might really revolve around the school-based setting. One of those acronyms being IEP. So an IEP stands for an Individualized Education Program. You might also hear a 504 plan. So a 504 plan is really kind of like a blueprint or a plan for how a school is going to provide support for a student to remove any barriers and allow them to have better accessibility to what it is that they're learning. Now those two things can um, kind of sound the same and it can be hard to tease out the difference here. Um, but really think about, this is one way that helps me kind of differentiate the two, is an IEP is typically uh, for a student who qualifies for special education services. And it's a means of which we are helping that individual, that specific person, be successful in school. So maybe it's teaching them skills, providing them services, or adapting the way that things are done so they can be successful. Whereas a 504 plan is more um, working on modifying the environment to then support the child. Now, OT-related services are a little bit challenging or tricky here because a student with OT services may qualify for an IEP or a 504 plan. Um, we're kind of this small anomaly, but I don't want to get too in-depth so, uh, in here about uh, how you figure out what plan to give a student or what they qualify for or services. Kind of just know an IEP is this larger plan of which we are helping a student be successful, whereas a 504 plan is more of accommodations in the environment for that student so that they can be successful. Some other um, acronyms that you might hear in the school-based setting, one is ABA, or um, what's known as Applied Behavioral Analysis. It's really a specific programming that's helping a student with behavioral needs. A BIP, or a BIP, is a Behavioral Intervention Plan. So that's any sort of plan being used in the school-based setting, a formal plan here written out, it's usually part of a student's IEP or their 504 plan, specifically targeting how is the school going to help manage and monitor and support a student with specific behavioral needs. A few more here briefly, 
FERPA or F-E-R-P-A stands for Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act. So this is really just making sure that families are supported in the special education um, process here with students and all their needs that they have um, in the school-based setting really supporting families. Another one is FAPE, F-A-P-E stands for free and appropriate public education. So every student um, is allowed the access to that free and appropriate public education. And that abbreviation is known as FAPE. Another abbreviation here is IDEA, or Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. So that's really supporting students that have different disabilities in that education setting and knowing what are their rights and what should they have access to and um, it kind of draws some of these guidelines of what what the requirements is to meet their needs. LRE, this means least restrictive environment. Um, sometimes it's also re referred to as um, inclusion or an inclusion classroom and really what this is is any sort of placement outside of like general education classrooms um, that allows the student with different needs like that has an IEP or a 504 plan to really be able to access as much of that general education as possible. Another term here UDL, which means Universal Design for Learning. This is really a, like a teaching approach that works to accommodate all the needs and abilities of all the learners in that classroom and kind of eliminates any unnecessary hurdles or things like that. So one example might be um, one student really benefits from a visual checklist. So instead of just giving that student a visual checklist of the five things they need to do in their morning routine, the teacher might just write the five things that everybody needs to do in their morning routine on the board. So not one individual student is targeted and everybody really can benefit from using that tool. And the last one here for you, which you are going to hear in any setting is HIPAA, um, H-I-P-A-A, -A, um, and this stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. So really it's a federal law that's required, um, uh, it has like national standards to protect sensitive patient um, like health information from being disclosed without that patient's consent or knowledge. So if I'm seeing a student, um, I can't tell you that student's name and what we're working on because that's disclosing private information about that individual to somebody that's not part of that individual's um, therapeutic team. So I might have some cool examples or some stories with some of the kids that I work with and I will not use their name and I will not tell you information about them that might disclose who that individual is. So that just kind of know that going forward. All right, I did my very best to try to keep things short, sweet, um, but also kind of explain some of these concepts 
enough that you have like a grasp at what they are. There's definitely going to be terminology that you hear in the occupational therapy setting, in the pediatric world, in this podcast, um, that maybe you don't know. So if that's the case, reach out to me on social media, go on Dr. Google and just look it up yourself. I do have a really awesome resource. It's not mine. I got it, oh gosh, years ago when I was doing some of my fieldwork levels. Um, And it's kind of like this glossary of occupational therapy terms. And so I will post the link to that PDF um, down in like the the show notes here at the, the bottom of the podcast. And while you're down there scrolling down to look at the show notes, don't forget to leave me a review. Hit the number of stars that you think that I deserve at this point in time in the podcast. Leave me a little bit of feedback. Um, I really like uh, to kind of gather some of those reviews um, for the podcast. And then also feel free to reach out on social media as the same handle, OT with Marissa, on Instagram. Um, let's see what else here. Oh! Your positive affirmation. How could I forget? We're going to play on the theme here of neurodiversity that I took a little bit of a deep dive and tangent into. So my two affirmations for you today are, I deserve accommodation for the things that are hard for me. So really think about the things that are challenging for you and what you need to overcome any battles. Um, either you, the kids that you see, you really do deserve um, changes around you to help you overcome those hard things. The other one goes hand in hand is I deserve agency over my treatment in my life. The word agency there is really the power, the autonomy you have to control the things in your life. You deserve that. You deserve to control um, and have that power over the way people treat you and um, the supports that you have in your life. So you can apply this to the the clients that you see. And also think, how can you apply this to yourself? So that's my little food for thought for you today. As always, thanks for making it to the end of my podcast. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, this podcast is not medical advice and does not replace the potential need for skilled and individualized therapeutic services. Please consult your pediatrician or occupational therapist for specific questions about your child. Similarly, these are my personal and professional views and opinions. If something I say does not feel right to you or is different from what you have learned, please follow your own intuition and learning quest. And remember, science and language are always changing and growing. I will try my best to stay as up-to-date as possible, but I myself am always learning. If you have any follow-up questions or requests for future podcasts, feel free to reach out to me on my Instagram at ot underscore with underscore Marissa. See you soon.